This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Travel Texas, which recently partnered with Outside to send Olivia Christine to Dallas on a wellness getaway. So when Outside told me that I was invited to take a surprise trip to Dallas, I was so excited. A wellness getaway is basically the process of finding your perfect balance between energizing activity and meaningful rest. Maybe that's going for a walk. Maybe that's going for a hike, a run. Maybe that's a luxurious hotel that you just completely self-pamper and go to a spa. With easy access to trails, good food, and great weather, Dallas is a perfect place for people with an active lifestyle. But it's also a place where you can slow down and feel your best. So if you want to get active, if you want to get outdoors, while pairing that with good food, good scenery, that's the way to do it. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the trip to Texas that really matters. Yours. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. When I was in college, I took a semester away from school to attend a three-month-long wilderness course in southern Chile, in Patagonia. We were kayaking and mountaineering, and it was an absolutely incredible experience. It was also extremely difficult. Towards the end, I was in a small group without an instructor we got lost in an area with no trails. This was before handheld GPS devices were commonplace. And at the end, we spent five days bushwhacking through dense forest in the rain with almost no food. Among the many powerful takeaways from that trip was an early lesson in how to handle an emergency situation. The rule we were given in a crisis moment, stop and have a cigarette. Now, that was not meant to be literal. The point was that before you take any action, pause and really consider what's happening and what needs to be done. I'm Michael Roberts, and that lesson has helped me navigate a lot of tough moments over the years, in the wilderness and in everyday life. And it was very much on my mind when I first listened to today's story, which comes to us from the team at the Out Alive podcast. It's about a true emergency and how a bystander's ability to keep her cool saved a life. If you don't already listen to the Out Alive podcast, now is a great time to start. Host Louisa Albanese chronicles real-life backcountry survival scenarios, examining what went wrong, what went right, and how people get through seemingly impossible situations. Out Alive publishes new episodes every other week, all year long. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. My name is River Berry. I'm a mental health therapist. I have a passion for the outdoors. I used to work in wilderness therapy. So a lot of crisis response and emotional first aid happening there. My name is Justin Beitler. I'm based in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm a base jumper and a pilot. I would say that I love climbing more than anything else I do. I started logging climbs in 2019, but I don't just climb. I like to rotate sports. So in the warmer seasons, I am mountain biking and rock climbing. And then in the colder seasons, I'm ice climbing and split boarding. I was in Moab for Thanksgiving. A bunch of friends and I had gone there to go base jumping. And if you don't know what base jumping is, it's jumping with a parachute, but instead of jumping out of an airplane, you jump off of a fixed object. So BASE is actually an acronym that stands for 
building antenna, span being a bridge, or earth being a cliff. Moab, Utah is an outdoor enthusiast's mecca. Although the town itself is only five square miles, cooler months bring an onslaught of adventurers due to its proximity to endless miles of desert hiking, mountain biking, canyoneering, rock climbing, whitewater rafting, dramatic red rock scenery, cheap camping, and two national parks. The week of last Thanksgiving, Justin was in town during the annual local base jumping festival, Turkey Boogie 2022, and River was visiting Moab after having spent some time climbing in nearby Indian Creek, one of the most iconic desert climbing destinations for its signature crack climbing on sandstone towers. I had just left Indian Creek that morning. We were driving out. One of my really good friends came down. She doesn't really climb too much. We decided we're going to go to King Creek and hop on some bikes and get some riding in. So we had just rolled up and we we're in the parking lot. We were gearing up, got my knee pads on. I had already lubed my chain. And one of my friends called and they're like, hey, do you want to come on this jump with me? And I'm saying, no, I'm really tired. And they go, well... We really want you there. It'll be a lot of fun if you came. And I had to roll my eyes and just like, fine, I'll go do this jump. The Cane Creek Trailhead, where River was planning to start her bike ride, is also adjacent to a very popular base jumping area. From the parking lot, bikers and hikers can watch people huck themselves off the cliffs above and parachute down to the ground. At the same time River was gearing up, a group of base jumpers had assembled at the top of the cliff, including Justin and another one of his friends who was visiting from Australia. We get up to the top of this jump and everyone starts putting their gear on and going through the normal rituals. If you've never been on a base jump before, it's just an interesting dynamic of all the things that take place before you go on this jump. Everyone, I think, wonders, like, how do you figure out who's going to go first? Just what is it like? It's really tense. Like... You're all about to jump off of this cliff, which is a little bit of a crazy thing to do. It's really scary. Generally, everyone's just kind of terrified and walking around pretending like they're not terrified, but everyone knows everyone else is terrified. I was doing tire pressure. Everything was ready to go. Literally, we're about to pedal away type of deal. I kind of lined up, did the jump. Everything felt good. Right after you open your parachute, like your mood kind of changes from being terrified to just being super ecstatically happy. Like, it's like you survived some big traumatic event or something. I'm celebrating on the way down. Right about that time, I looked up at the cliff to see my other friend jumping. And you knew right away that it wasn't going to be good. When you're jumping with a parachute off cliffs, there's only a few things that can really go wrong. One of them is your parachute opening facing the wrong direction. You need to try to respond quickly and turn the parachute and turn it away from the cliff and fly away from the cliff. The problem is we really don't have much time to do that. The only distance that you have from the cliff is however hard you ran off of it or pushed off of it, and you might have a couple seconds to try to reach up, get the controls of your parachute. His parachute opened backwards, kind of spun his body just a little bit, so when he reached up, like his controls weren't in the spot where he was expecting them to be, and so he hit the cliff. And he hit the cliff pretty hard. And so now you're in a position where your parachute's still trying to fly forward into the cliff, and it can't do that, so it just drags down the cliff all the way towards the ground. And then his parachute caught on a sort of an outcropping of rock. This person is like hanging up in the air, just delicately, it looks fragile, the situation. And I remember so vividly, 
instantly like praying like I don't really believe in organized religion but I'm a very spiritual person and I just say great divine please help this person and no way did I think that I was going to be part of it really at that point in time because I just didn't understand how I could be part of it. The Australian base jumper was dangling about 80 feet up the cliff wall held only by his parachute which had snagged on a ledge. It's time to get into gear and start helping. So I put all my gear down and I just start running up to the cliff. I don't even really know what I thought I was going to do, but I just felt like I needed to get up there. I needed to start gathering information and figuring things out. I see my friend up there. He's not moving, like not moving at all. And the first thought that I had was he may be a goner. It was really kind of a scary moment that you didn't hear anything. You didn't see anything. My brain just kind of went into this mode of like gathering resources. I have a friend that has a rope. I have another friend that's got some harnesses. The one thing that we don't have that we really need is some trad gear, some rock climbing gear. Justin thought that in theory, someone could climb up the rock to his friend. But without trad gear or pieces of hardware that a climber places in the rock, they had no way to protect against a fall. Right about that time, one of my other buddies arrived on the scene and I told him, okay, I've got I've to go, stay here with our friend. If he wakes up, keep him calm, tell him not to move. He can't move around too much or he might fall. And that was really the thing I was wor- worried the most about is I didn't know what was holding him up. If he moved around, maybe that parachute's going to slip and he might fall. And then all of a sudden, a stranger just like runs up to me, like standing by my van and He just starts asking not just me, but everybody in the parking lot, does anybody have rock climbing gear? That's when this girl just piped up from across the parking lot. Hey, I've got gear. What do you need? And that was River. And I had a double rack. I'd just come from Indian Creek, plus I had my, my van of all my things. And I had a couple harnesses and what used to be a 70 meter, but now is a 69 meter rope and grabbed all my gear, put it in a creek pack. And he just like took the pack and ran away. It was crazy. Now I think about it and I'm like, I just gave a stranger thousands and thousands of dollars worth of my gear. That's crazy. And he was just like, meet me up there. And at this time I'm like, this dude must be some crusher, trad climber and he's gonna go save this dude. I'm gonna go belay him and help out. I had this like instinct to just run with him, but then I was like, wait a second, I'm like in biking gear. I need to take a minute to breathe and put on climbing gear and pack some food, some water, a puffy, first aid stuff. Just take a minute to make sure I was taking care of me also so I could help out in the best way possible. I had not even gotten Justin's name yet, but the stranger that I had briefly met in the parking lot was there and I was just like, okay, cool, we're gearing up, I get everything out of my pack and I'm like, I just wanna let you know, this is what my climbing resume looks like, I just want you to know I'm a safe belayer, what's your resume look like? I told her, I said, look, I'm just planning on aiding this thing, meaning that I'm just gonna put like slings and anything that I can and basically build myself a ladder to climb and climb the gear and not the rock. And I'm like looking at his plan and I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. River began to realize that unlike her, Justin didn't have much experience placing his own gear or climbing desert cracks. The route up to the injured base jumper looked dirty and filled with loose rock. Clearly no one had ever climbed it, but it was a perfect crack, just like the one she'd just been climbing in Indian Creek, and it led directly to the injured base jumper. And then I just all of a sudden hop into this go mode, this like, 
incredible state of being where you just don't think all you do is just do what you need to get done like it's so beautiful that the human body has the ability to do this and it still shocks me to this day and she was all of a sudden this ball of confidence that she just started barking orders of all right justin you've got this harness on i need that one take it off we're switching harnesses there's another guy there she says okay you need to go over there and start getting my rope flaked out so I get ready for climb and I need those shoes and she's just boom here we go this is the person that we need to lead this charge to go get my friend I walk up to the crack and I'm not trying to be below it too much as I tie into the rope because I don't want the base jumper to fall on me and I tie in and then I walk up to the crack ready to climb and before I climbed I was just like wait a second I like look at Justin I'm like what's your name what's this guy's name up there and I just pray for the three of us please just watch over us watch over my friend and I was just really impressed by that I'm not particularly a religious or spiritual person I was more just really impressed that we're in this position where there's a lot of pressure to move quickly it's really tense and it's really scary. And she was totally in control. I'm going to do things on my terms. I'm going to do them when I'm ready to do them. I wasn't thinking about anything other than just going. We had a brief plan of if he if the base jumper was falling from the air that like Justin would yell rock and I would tuck into the rock. You just had to block it out of your mind. It would have been pretty catastrophic. Some 150 pound guy or 180 pound guy falls 80 feet on top of you, it's probably not going to end well. And that was about all we said, because if you start talking about the reality of the situation, which is you're probably going to get really hurt or maybe even killed if this guy falls, it's a little bit overwhelming. I just planned on not looking at all whatsoever. And that thought came and I like made the plan for myself, but then I like pushed it away and just did what I needed to get done. And as I start going up, it just becomes so clear that this crack had never been touched before by humans. It was just so covered in sand. There's rocks pulling off that I'm not expecting to come off. It's just chossy. I'm like pushing giant rocks into the crack so that they don't fall on Justin, who doesn't have a helmet on because I only had the one. And it was pretty delicate. As I go up, like about halfway up, I was really pretty stoked to hear like breathing. It was like, oh, he's alive. We didn't actually really fully know, or at least I remember questioning it. And I remember just like yelling to him as I was going up, you're a badass. I would just like yell something similar to that. You got this, I'm coming for you. She was just, she just got into the zone and was just on it. It was like any other day of climbing. And I'll never forget, every time he would wake up, then she starts caring for him. And you could hear her look up at him and just say, hey man, just you're gonna be all right. Once I like was going up and almost to him, my friend starts coming in and out of consciousness and it's clear that he's something's on with him because he just starts screaming in pain. So <laughs> I guess we figured out at that time he's probably broken his leg and he would wake up and scream and talk about his leg and then he would pass out again. When he started begging me to help him out, stress like flooded me and I started to really like feel like I was starting to rush. You could see her body start getting a little bit tense. You could hear her breathing start coming up like she's starting to get rushed. We'll be right back. 
When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Now let's get back to the episode. I had to like really tune him out, completely stop listening to what he was saying. And in response, I just started a mantra out loud. And this was around the time I was trying to figure out the last anchor. And I was like, take your time, play safe gear, take your time, play safe gear. And I just had to like completely stop listening to him. And right about then is when I think search and rescue started to show up. I think a huge part of this experience was the helicopter had come in a little too early. It was really time sensitive because we didn't know if it was going to keep holding. The more pain that the base jumper became in, the more shifting he was doing and trying to get the weight off of his leg. And we were really worried it was going to like just knock him off. So I don't ever want it to sound like, wow, the helicopter really messed up. But in the moment, I can't communicate with my Blair. There's sand, like, blasting me in the face. I'm just getting blasted. I can't make upward progression at all because my Blair has me tight on my last piece and I can't, like, move at all. And then we've got the delicacy of this, like, parachute just hanging out on this, like, corner of this lip and a windstorm is coming in from the helicopter. So it was was pretty tenuous when I'm trying to keep belaying river and telling people, like, please wave the helicopter to go away. And finally, the helicopter crew saw us and waved off. But yeah, that certainly brought the energy level of everybody up pretty high. I just kept having this image in my mind that he was going to fall. And so shortly after that, River arrived at my friend, built an anchor, and she just, just starts asking me, like, okay, what do I do? So we start just giving her directions. Take this thing clip it into this part of his harness. That's a load-bearing piece. Just trying to explain to her as efficiently as possible, like which pieces she could clip, what things to do. Then I was able to clip him in as soon as possible to like a couple pieces and equalized him. And it was just like, I can't even describe the feeling that I had. As soon as you heard the clip of that carabiner connected to his harness, and I knew, okay, he's going to be safe. Because even if he falls... He's got something that's going to catch him. It was a really, really powerful moment. I knew I needed to get higher still because to transfer the weight to me appropriately, I would need to be a bit higher than him so that when he swung down, it was the smallest drop possible. I felt really confident in this anchor and was able to equalize it nicely and get myself on it. I don't really have any formal rescue training, but I had spent some time with a self-rescue book in the past and I remember like like reading about like really wanting your the victim like between your legs when you're like lowering them and so pulling from some of that background knowledge I was like okay I know that I need him between my legs below me so I get him I get a locker and a double link sling connected to my belay loop and then with Justin talking to me from the ground he was helped able to guide me to know what to clip on the base jumper's harness and was able to secure him to my belay loop that way. 
Now River and the base jumper were both anchored into the wall with climbing gear and attached to one another by their harnesses. Now they had to disconnect him from the stuck parachute and lower him down to the ground. And then it came to be like a moment of truth in some ways. The base jumper had a knife on him, which was super helpful because he was conscious to hand me the knife, which was really great. And it was the time to start cutting ropes. And the parachute is this like spaghetti mess all over his body. I just said, look, you just, all of these lines need to be cut. What ensued was like a scene out of a cartoon where you just have a character who just erupts into this ball of arms and dust flying everywhere. And there were just little bits of line just shooting out from the wall like they'd been shot out of a cannon. And then it came to those like last three strands that were like taut and holding all of his weight. And she kind of looked down at me like, you're sure I should be cutting these lines. Okay, one last check, go ahead and cut the line. And I remember like really not wanting to clip him. Like everything in my body says, don't do this, but I have to do it right this second. There's no other choice. And I cut him and- He dropped down not that far, just like a few inches. And suddenly he's waited onto her, all the gear held and the parachute slipped right off the rock. I remember looking up and getting this feeling and all of a sudden I would think to myself, gosh, I think it's starting to rain. I don't see any clouds around here and I, oh, it's not rain. I'm getting covered in a lot of blood right now. We were able to sit in that spot to get ready for the lower. He's in a lot of pain at this point, so we're just trying to move as quickly but as efficiently as possible. His leg's pretty beat up and he's got some injuries to his face. I remember the urgency of the situation was really starting to hit. I got like eye level with him and he was like, you need to get the help me get the weight off of this leg. I'm trying to keep his body upright because he's on a weight-bearing loop that's on his right part of his chest, so it's got him sideways. So I'm trying my best to keep him as upright as possible, but also trying to be mindful of like his leg hitting at the wall. Like at one point he like screamed and I realized that like his leg had touched the wall in a way or got caught on the wall, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, this Poor dude. And so I'm trying to control it as much as possible. And there's some videos of me like talking to him and I'm like, so I think it's, it's funny. Like I really knew that this person was going to be someone I was going to be so connected with. Once we got to the ground, I was relieved. Wow. We did it. There was a medic there. There was a bunch of our friends that were military, medically trained guys. Everyone, they had already been spending all this time formulating their own plan of when he gets down, they had assigned tasks, who's going to do what. They were really well prepared. I just remember like my whole body is like already vibrating at that point. And Justin kind of like wraps his arms around me in this big old hug. Just told her, hey, it's over. You did it. You got him down. He's safe. At that moment, I was just like, wow. That's crazy to hear. I think she knew at that point she had done her job. She had done a great job. I just remember just being so thankful that she was there and that she was willing to do all of this for us. It didn't really fully hit me until like more hugs came and more thank yous came at the scene. Like I had to wait around to see A, if I could help anymore, but B, to get my gear back from the climb. And so 
while I was like hanging around and the medical teams like prepping him for the helicopter to get medevaced. All of his friends just came up giving hugs and thank yous. And that's when I was just like, oh my gosh, like I think this is a big deal. They airlifted him out to the hospital in Grand Junction. It turns out he had had a pretty nasty break to his right femur, so they had to put him into surgery. And he's, it was about a day of doing surgeries and recoveries and everything before he came out and we could see him again. I hung out with all of his friends quite a bit, which was amazing. What a beautiful way to process like such a challenging thing is to be there with that people with people that were there and that people that really understood this like very intense experience. I like did a lot of journaling because it feels so important to get it right. Every little detail feels so important. I don't know. I just think it's crazy that it feels like everything was so perfectly aligned. Like it felt like I was supposed to be there and that he was supposed to live. And so many little things line up for that. When I was at the van, I could have been gone pedaling away like five minutes after that. If it had happened five minutes later, I wouldn't have been in that parking lot. There's little other things like I had just learned how to aid climb, I think two weeks before the, the rescue which gave me like the skills needed to progress like in an efficient manner up to him. Just so many little things that just blow my mind is, wow, the, this is pretty incredible for all of these things to be in alignment for a really awful situation to go the best possible way. In a regular episode of Out Alive, this would be the natural end to the story. But while doing some research about base jumping in general, I happened to come across a base jumper who said they had recently went with River on her first base jump. I immediately reached back out to River to find out more. I recently returned back to the route. Um, and to do that, I really didn't want like a big group of people or anything. I really just wanted Justin, who was my Blair from the rescue. But in prepping for going back to the route, Justin was like, hey, do you want to try base jumping? Well, I'm like usually the person to say yes to things, like especially new opportunities. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if the conditions are right. And I think it might have been 10 minutes between the text messages. And he's like, it's booked. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually a different feeling than just talking about it, you know? <laughs> it was actually quite terrifying to think about at the time. I run a company called Tandem Base Moab. I've got just over 1,500 base jumps, 11,000 skydives in 17 years. And it's taken me around the world, made all kinds of friends, seen all kinds of places, and I wouldn't trade any of it. This is Matt, the base jumper I just happened to connect with. While this seemed like a huge coincidence, I quickly learned that the base jumping community is pretty tight. Not only does Matt own his own company taking people on tandem base jumps, but he also works search and rescue. He was called to the scene the day Justin's friend crashed. So Justin contacted me saying, hey, do you have any availability for tandems? And I said, I do. And I had a feeling it was going to be River. I'm pretty active in the Moab base jumping scene. I heard what was happening. I was in the parking lot watching her climb. Had not met her heard how it all played out and thought it was pretty darn awesome. I allowed everyone to take 48 hours and to let emotions relax and to settle. 
And then I was like, hey, I need to reach out to this person. This person did base jumpers a tremendous solid and I'm just really impressed. So through the magic of social media, I reached out that way. But truly, I didn't actually give her a hug and introduce myself until about a week ago when she ended up doing a base jump with us. So I did a tandem base jump. So what that means is that um, I've got a full body harness on that base jumpers use and he's got one on and he clips me to him. There I was one Saturday morning about a month after the rescue, uh, standing there with her about to take her on a base jump, which to me it was, yeah, tremendous carriage and uh, really cool character. I instantly started thinking about all of the possibilities. It's interesting when we were at the top, I felt the most triggered by seeing the harnesses and, and like starting to put the harness on. Instantly, I was back in that place when um, we pulled out the harnesses and like kind of felt my body flood with adrenaline and just like had to take a minute. It was like time for us to like start going towards the edge. And I was pretty much just like, all right, River, you're not allowed to think. No thinking at all whatsoever, only doing. So in the video, you wa you hear me say like, no thinking, only doing, no thinking, only doing. I'm really big on mantras. <laughs> I definitely never thought that I would base jump. I was standing completely on the edge of this cliff. It's around a 400 foot cliff, I think. It looks similar to the cliff that my new friend had crashed on. And so I'm like looking down this like 400 foot cliff and just like, okay, yeah, this is really intense feeling, but trying not to think at all. And then we did the countdown and we jumped and all of a sudden it's like, you know, when you're at a roller coaster and it starts going down, you lose your whole guts, like your guts like just drop out of your body type of feeling. Like it's that feeling only like you feel like you're dying because <laughs> you're just plummeting in air. And then the chute pops open and it is the best feeling in the whole entire world when that chute just pops open. Working on this story, I couldn't help but find the entire idea of base jumping a little ludicrous, but I really wanted to understand. So with 17 years of experience under his belt, I decided to ask Matt. Do you think that somebody who hasn't experienced base jumping can understand it? Ooh, fully? Probably not. I don't know that you can understand Anything that you really haven't experienced and all you're doing is judging the book by its cover. To the average person, pro probably not, no. I think it's one of those things that you need to sink your teeth into. And maybe it's in your spirit. I think there's something, to me it makes total sense when, for the average person or the majority of the population to look at base jumping and say, absolutely not. It's against every survival instinct we have, right? I think a lot of people label us adrenaline junkies and I understand that. For me, I'm in the outdoors. I get to experience places that 99.9% .9 of the population is just never going to go. The moments before a base jump, anything else that's happening in your life, in your head, in your job, in your relationship, it goes away. Everything needs to be calming. You need to be operating with a super clear mind and you need to focus on the task at hand. If you're doing it well and you're operating within your experience and comfort zone, you find total peace, complete calmness. It's just clarity. Nothing else in the universe matters except for you, where you are standing and what you're about to do. That's not to say there's not always risk involved. 
I've lost friends base jumping, yes. I've lost friends in car accidents. I've lost a friend to suicide. I've lost a friend to cancer. I guess what I know is that we get a finite amount of time here, and what matters to most base jumpers is packing that filled with experience. I think most of us are people that want to you know, think less about the bank account and more about that memory bucket and just, hey, how much did I get out of life? And that doesn't mean being overwhelmingly reckless or crazy or mindless. It just means fill your life with incredible experiences. And that's certainly what base jumping provides. In January, River returned to the scene of the accident and made the first free ascent of the crack, meaning she climbed it under the power of her own body without pulling on gear to aid her ascent. She added a permanent anchor so that others could climb the route and gave it a grade of 5.10 plus. River named the route Lifeline. I don't have rescue experience like I don't think I'm the most sandy climber. Like I'm a competent climber. I've done like a lot of wonderful things that have equipped me for this, have the skills for this rescue. I wouldn't say that like, I was like the perfect person for it. I didn't think I was gonna be part of that. I wasn't running up like, oh, what can I do to help? I felt very removed from the situation until Justin came to me. So I'm not saying, oh, be like me, I'm an exceptional. I'm just saying like in general, if you can try to help, like help, you don't have to be a superstar. Joe Schmoes can still be helpful, you know? This episode of Out Alive was produced and written by me, Louisa Albanese, with writing and editing by Zoe Gates. Scoring and sound design was by Jason Patton. Additional production by Emma Vait. Thank you to River Berry, Justin Beitler, and Matt Lajunas for sharing your stories with us. Thanks to listening to Out Alive. And if you have a backcountry survival story that you're interested in sharing, you can email me at outalive at outsideinc.com. 